Welcome to National Capital Bible Church, study in Job this evening. A lot going on in uh, our world, uh, therefore it's important for us to remember to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. This evening, as we prepare for our study of Job 39, we're moving from 38 to 39, and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful passage as God speaks to us about what he has done and what he does. Um, most of the details that are are found in these verses elude us. We just think that um, uh, God's creation, what's happening in the world around us, is um, more or less on auto. Uh, it's just happening automatically that, uh, that nature has somehow been uh, placed in a uh, a system that functions on its own. But that's not what God says, and that's not what we find in these chapters, chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. Again, tonight we plan to spend... Uh, most of our time in chapter 39. And uh, before we do that, let's take a few seconds for spiritual preparation. It's your opportunity to concentrate. Concentrate on what is written, what God the Holy Spirit has inspired, recorded. And as we read this, even though God is speaking to Job. Uh, this book is um, is preserved for us, and therefore uh, we should be um, listening carefully as God speaks to us. And we pray that God, the Holy Spirit, certainly uh, is assisting us and guiding us. So let's take just a few seconds for spiritual preparation, confession of sins, and also requesting that God the Holy Spirit would guide us, help us to concentrate uh, for this, uh, this time of study. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, 
the details that we find in chapter 38 and 39, where we'll be tonight. Help us, Father, to not only learn about creation, but to learn about you and uh, your love for us, your love for your creation, the details that have you that you have uh, provided uh, for us in these chapters, so that we might uh, have a better or a deeper appreciation for who you are what you've done in the past, what you are doing now, and what you will continue to do. Because all of your creation is dependent upon you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, we finished our study in chapter 38 at verse 38. Uh, verse 38, Um, and we will begin our study tonight in verse 39, 40, and 41, which are the last three verses of chapter 38. And then we'll move right on into uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 39. All right, here we are. Uh, as we begin our study tonight, I'd like to review where we are just to make sure that we know what we're doing and what we're, what we're studying. Uh, sometimes it's easy to get lost, but uh, we're in the book of Job again, and we are studying God's speeches. Uh, Job... 38, chapter 38 through chapter 42, and we are studying God's first speech. We have worked our way through the first part of the book of Job, through the prologue, the dialogues, the um, uh, Job's opening um, discussion of his situation and then we have the uh, the first round the second the third rounds of dialogue and then Elihu's four speeches last week we uh, studied actually we may may have started a little bit further into chapter 38. But in God's first speech, we see God's opening rebuke and challenge to Job. And then last week, we saw God's questioning of Job regarding inanimate inanimate nature. This week, tonight, we are going to see uh, God's questioning of Job regarding animate nature. And these are... uh, Uh, interesting passages from the standpoint, again, that God tells us what he is, uh, how he is uh, controlling nature. Uh, Next week, we will begin, we will uh, read about God's closing rebuke 
and his challenge to Job in chapter 40, 1 through 2. And then we will begin Job's first reply to God. Now, you'll notice that Job's reply um, encompasses verses 3, 4, and 5. But verse 3 is simply uh, an introduction. So we really only have two verses, 4 and 5, that um, provide uh, Job's response. Uh, and Job's response is um, his humiliation or his uh, him being humbled before God. Now, this week... God's first speech, and I said, and I've just moved the third section into this uh, chart, God's questioning of Job regarding animate nature. Chapter 38, beginning in 39, verse 39, and then continuing in chapter 39, going to verse 30. Now, This is what we'll see tonight. We're going to see at the end of chapter 38, lions and ravens being discussed by God. We'll also see goats and deer. These will be discussed at the beginning of chapter 39, verses 1 through 4. We'll continue and we'll see wild donkeys and wild oxen, uh, verses 5 through 12, ostriches, stork, uh, uh, storks, and actually that's only a, a one portion of a verse, war horses and locusts, uh, verses 13 through 25, and then we conclude the chapter with hawks, and eagles, verses 26 through 30. Therefore, all right, uh, let's return to Job 38, verse 39. And as we begin this, I have a bit of an intro for this, for these, uh, paragraphs. Uh, there are 12 animals described beginning in verse 39 and going to the end of chapter 39. We'll see six beasts, five birds, and even an insect. They all exhibit the creative genius and the provincial care of God. Fittingly, the list begins with the lion. We often call the lion the king of beasts, and it ends with the word eagle. And we often describe the eagle as the king of birds. Um, there is some question whether it's an, an eagle or a vulture, but uh, eagle works, I think, uh, very well here. Uh, Job is going to be uh, introduced to his inability and, to a certain extent, his ignorance uh, in that he's not going to be able to provide for 
these animals, but God has uh, has provided for them. Uh, Job is going to uh, learn that he doesn't uh, know uh, the details of the birth of uh, these animals, you know, s- specifically referring to uh, lions and ravens. Uh, we're going to see that uh, he is, he doesn't, he's not able to uh, tame them. Uh, he's not given uh, a an understanding of their ways, their odd ways. We're going to see uh, an ostrich and the extraordinary uh, life that they live. Uh, we're, we're going to see that he doesn't design for them the way that they fly. So one might think that animals being under man would be controlled by and cared for by man. But God shows Job that he was in some way, in some ways, inferior even to the animal kingdom. These animals could care for themselves or we'll see God cares for them. But Job could not. Therefore, as we begin, we see that the Lord is going to uh, interrogate Job concerning the animal kingdom to determine Job's, what we probably could call his impotence, his impotence to govern it and his ignorance of God's uh, providential plan. The wild animals uh, listed here are either a favorite game of uh, those who were in royalty at the time, um, but... Uh, before Job could evaluate his claim to be able to run the universe better than the Lord, he would need to prove that he could control, he could control these animals as well. All right. Uh, lions and ravens, verses 39 through 41. In verses 39 through 40, God addresses the hunting practices of lions. Verse 39. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait? Who provides food for the ravens when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? All right, verse 39 here. Can you, and again, this is the Lord speaking to Job. Can you, Job, hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions? Uh, Job, the Lord says, can you find prey for the, uh, or food for lions? You know, this, uh, the way it begins, you might think that there's, they're speaking of the lions. Uh, hunting, but uh, God asked Job, can you provide prey for the lion, or can you satisfy the appetite of the young lions? In the wild, it's hard to provide for wild animals. Uh, animals that are, uh, that hunt or are preying or trying to find or 
um, foraging for food, it's uh, a difficult task. Uh, and they must be able to provide for themselves or they perish. Notice it says when they, the lions, crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait. Crouching here is the posture of hunting prior to an attack. That's the sense here. That's how the uh, the lions uh, are going to provide for themselves. Uh, and the question is, Job, could you use their methods for hunting, hunting for them? God has created wild animals to survive by using various ingrained and learned tactics. Yet overall, it is God who provides for wild animals. What we see in the wild today is not part of the original design. Uh, You may remember the original design. God creates the garden uh, after he has created all these animals. And uh, it was God's provision for those animals. That's how he was going to provide for them. But after the fall, we have... um, a, uh, a complete change of how uh, creation functions. It's no longer a harmonious creation, but now it's, uh, we might say, uh, it's uh, competition. And in many cases, the competition uh, brings death to certain, certain animals. So what we see in the wild today is not part of the original design. But after the fall, God's perfect provision for these animals was disrupted. We don't appreciate the fact that the fall has caused animals to fight for survival. That's not how God, uh, God's original design was to be enacted. Their lives are a struggle often a battle each day. And it is God who ultimately provides for these animals. Verse 41, we move on to the raven. Who provides food for the raven? When its young young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food. So young birds in a nest open their mouths heavenward, uh, That's how we often see birds, uh, adult birds, feeding uh, their babies, we could call them. So these young birds, these babies, they appear to be crying to God for food. And we probably could understand that because uh, God is the one who provides uh, food for the adult birds to take back to the nest. Again, ultimately it is God who feeds baby birds. The adult birds wander, searching for food, and it is God who leads them to sources of food. So if the Lord provides for the young ravens who cry out for help, how much more will he hear and provide for people? when they genuinely cry out for help. 
Now, I'd like to turn to a passage where the Lord speaks of ravens. Turn to Luke 12. Luke 12, verse 24. This is uh, another passage is in Matthew 6. But here in verse 24 of chapter 12 in Luke, we say we see uh, the Lord speaking to his disciples. Consider the ravens. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Well, here we see that ravens, birds, uh, ravage every day. They're out looking for forage every day. They're trying to find food. And God provides for them every day. And Luke, of course, says, uh, if God can take care of the birds, he can take care of you. All right. A quick summary here of what we see in these verses. First of all, for his own safety, Job stays clear of lions. That's not something that uh, uh, Job can do. Adam, before the fall, could. But Job is not hunting prey for the lions. Nor could he even provide food for black, uh, for ravens. Black ravens. And they're young. But of course, God does. Job could not be the nourisher of the world's wild kingdom. Therefore, since God cares for them, and God does, and we see that in Luke 12, 24. So if God cares for them, those who are of less value than humans, would, his, would he neglect his, uh, the care of people, uh, his higher creation? And, of course, the answer is no. Now, goats and deer, verses 1 and 4, 1 through 4 in chapter 39. So as we begin uh, chapter 39, we see that God is going to ask Job about uh, these wild goats, uh, some that we see periodically up in the mountains, and also deer. Verses 1 through 4. Do you, and we'll see that you here is Job, the Lord again speaking to Job, do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark them or observe them, we'll see, when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? Uh, Job, do you know the gestation period here? Verse 3. They, and we can call this the, uh, the wild goats or the deer, they bow down, they bring forth their young, they deliver their offspring. Verse 4. Their young ones are healthy. 
They grow strong with grain. They depart and do not return to them. So the young ones uh, rather rapidly grow and are able to depart. Um, Verse 1, Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark or can you observe? Can you watch when the bird... When the deer gives birth, uh, do you observe, do you watch as the wild deer give birth to their young is another way of expressing that. Uh, rarely are these events observed. As a matter of fact, uh, the mountain goats, of course, find themselves locations up on uh, ridges uh, where they give their uh, give birth. Uh, since the time of birth of birthing is a time of great vulnerability for mother and baby, the mother finds a secluded location. Even tame animals try to find seclusion for birthing. I remember on the farm uh, we had many uh, tame cats, but the cats didn't uh, have their litters. Uh, in the house or around the house, they always went up into the barn. They went to a place where they would be secluded. So the mother hides her young until they're able easily to follow her or maybe even to defend themselves. Uh, Verse 2, can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? So the question that's asked here might be, the length of the gestation for the animals. Uh, Job, do you know the length of that? Is that something that you know? Well, if you don't know when the pregnancy begins, then you don't know the length of the gestation. So this could very easily mean uh, God asking Job, uh, how long do the, uh, the deer or the goats carry their young. Uh, Job, do you know when an animal will give birth? And of course, for the wild animals, no, he does not. Um, I remember on the farm, uh, Dad would watch very carefully when uh, a cow or a sow or a mare or even one of our dogs uh, would give birth. He might know when they were close, but he didn't know the date, nor would he know the time. God not only knows the time, the date, but he brings it to pass. This is what God is telling us here. These are details that God controls, the control of which we do not very often consider. We think, okay, it's about time for maybe one of our pet dogs to uh, have a litter. Um, But what rarely do we think that God is uh, controlling that birth? In verses 3 and 4, God educates Job and us about animal birth and growth. Verse 3, he says, they they bow down or they kneel is another way of expressing that. They bring forth their young. 
They deliver their offspring. Uh, the word here for offspring is, we would normally translate it, uh, birth pangs, um, which simply, I think, is figurative language for offspring. Uh, the last line there could be translated, cast forth their labor pain. And that's figurative language for giving birth. Now, many animals, like goats, deer, cows, mares, uh, give birth standing or kneeling. <clears throat> I remember Dad told us, of course, I was pretty young on the farm at the time, that it was better for the mothers to birth standing or possibly kneeling. Uh, the fall of the young of the young being born would often break or sever the umbilical cord. And of course, we know that uh, when the umbilical cord is severed, cut or severed, uh, it immediately constricts both as it leads to the mother and to the, uh, uh, the offspring. Now, the question I have to ask you is, does that sound like evolution to you? No. This is God's creation for saving the uh, newborn and also the mother. <clears throat> I remember uh, Father saying that if uh, a uh, mostly it was uh, our cows that if they could uh, give birth standing or kneeling, that they could recover more quickly. They could also protect their young, and it was easier for the young to nurse. Uh, verse 4, their young ones are healthy. They grow strong with grain. Another way of translating this is they grow strong in the open field, uh, eating the grain. They depart and do not return to them. So some kinds of animals remain close, but many live separate lives. When they're uh, old enough, when they're strong enough, when they're capable, they will depart. So they depart and do not return to uh, the mother. Uh, God is the one who provides the prey for the predators. And he also takes care of the prey. Both of those belong in God's hands. Um, by taking care of them in their most vulnerable moment of giving birth, the Lord provides for order and balance in nature. It's only God who can provide that, that balance. Man was supposed to do that. Uh, prior to the fall. But after the fall, God does this. Um, a quick summary here. First of all, Job did not even know when certain animals give birth. He didn't know when they gave birth to their young, nor did he know their gestation periods. Totally apart from man's help or knowledge, but obviously under God's supervision, we have the wild goats 
and we also have the deer who bring forth their young. Uh, they grow up, they uh, are adults, they leave their parents, and they fend for themselves. So this is God's creation, but it's not God making the creation and then allowing it to simply fend for itself. He continues to control it. Uh, the mountain goat may be the ibex. I remember when I was in uh, Israel and we were uh, visiting the uh, hills of Judea, we would see the ibex. And um, very, uh, they're a smaller goat, but they're ex- exceedingly nimble. Uh, even now, relatively few people actually see these goats, uh, and they uh, almost never see them uh, bearing their offspring. Uh, and so the question would be, um, Job, if you can't answer these questions, why would you challenge God uh, regarding his creation? Now, wild donkeys and wild oxen, verses 5 through 12. Verses 5 through 12 speak of the uh, these wild animals. Uh, and the question would be given to Job. Job, what do you know about these wild donkeys and the, the wild oxen? And the answer is probably going to be very little. All right, verses 5 through 12. Who set the wild donkey free? In other words, um, donkeys normally are considered to be a tame, a domesticated animal. Who set the wild donkey free? Who loosed the bonds of the onager? Uh, This is probably another word for uh, a wild, uh, wild cattle. Whose whose home I have made the wilderness, and the barren land his dwelling. Uh, This is remarkable because we would probably uh, think that somehow the uh, tame or the domesticated donkey escaped. Well, that's not what this says. This says that God gave them a home in the wilderness. Verse 7, he scorns the tumult of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the driver. And this is speaking of the wild donkey. Verse 8. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. I'll probably have a, a summary there after that, but let's read on through 9 through 12. Well, the wild ox, <clears throat> and the wild ox here, again, as I said, can be the wild uh, cattle, Can the wild ox be willing to serve you? Will he bed by your uh, manger? Verse 10, can you bind the wild ox in the furrow with ropes? That's a reference to plowing. Continuing, the next colon says, or will he plow the valleys behind you? Will you trust him because his strength is great? Or will you leave your labor to him? Will you trust him to bring home your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? Uh, I love this. 
<clears throat> because uh, so much of uh, what we uh, see with the domesticated animals, they almost walk by themselves. Uh, whether it's plowing, they seem to be there. We're able to train them, or <clears throat> uh, pulling carts or uh, uh, wagons. Well, here we're going to learn about the wild donkey and wild cattle. Verse 5 says, Who sets the wild donkey free? Who loose the bonds of the uh, wild uh, oxen? Is another way of saying that. The wild cattle. Uh, and I think, again, what's remarkable here is that God is telling us he's the one that planned for the domesticated animals to be set free. Verse 6, whose, homes, whose, whose home I have made the wilderness. Another word for wilderness there is the wasteland. Uh, donkeys can be fed and provided uh, in mangers. Uh, in uh, uh, for those who own them or take care of them. But uh, in the wilderness or the wasteland, uh, it's more difficult to, find, to forage for food. Uh, but he says, I have made the wasteland their home. And the barren land, the salt flats, his dwelling, they're able to survive out there. Why? Because God provides for them. Verse 7 <clears throat> Uh, he, and this is a reference to the, the wild donkey, scorns the tumult of the city. Uh, scorning it or laughs at it is another way to translate that word. <clears throat> he does not heed the shouts of the driver. So the shoutings of the driver, he doesn't hear. Remember, as a tame donkey, uh, he would hear the, <clears throat> uh, the orders, the commands, that would be given to him, but he doesn't hear them now. Uh, therefore, he doesn't need to uh, uh, heed them. <clears throat> uh, it appears here that the animal is happier in open countryside than in a busy town and on its own rather than being driven by a herdsman. Verse 8, the range of the mountains is his pasture and he searches after every green thing. So the wild donkey here, uh, the symbol of the exploited poor, finds satisfaction where God has placed him. He places him on the earth in the wasteland or in the salt flats. Uh, the contrast here with Job's complaints about the voice of the oppressor. True freedom is found in being content where God has placed them. And here we have these animals, these wild animals. They're content with where they are. Why? Because God takes care of them. Verses 9 through 12 speak of the wild oxen or the wild cattle. God once more poses rhetorical questions to Job. Verse 9 Will the wild ox be willing to serve you, Job? <clears throat> Will he, the wild ox or the wild cattle, bed by your manger? The wild ox 
uh, as we read here, as we discover, was particularly resistant to domestication. The English translation of the oxen is a bit misland, uh, mis- misleading, uh, whereas wild cattle is is better. In other words, these this, these cattle had previously been tame; they had been domesticated, but now they are wild. <clears throat> Verse ten says, "All right, if you capture some of these wild cattle, can you bind?" the wild cattle, in the furrow with ropes? Or will he plow the valleys behind you? So the question to Job here is, can you train the wild oxen? Can you train the wild cattle to plow a straight furrow? You know, we always see um, generally uh, on TV or in movies, um, someone plowing with, uh, horses or with, with oxen, and they seem to be able to follow the furrow. Well, can you train these wild cattle to do that? And apparently the answer is no. Um, <clears throat> the tame ox was often led by a man while another plow uh, handled the plow. The wild uh, cattle would simply not submit to this type of handling. Uh, even more so than we might think. Verse 11, will you trust him because his strength is great? In other words, you might see this wild cattle and think they're strong and want to bring them in, uh, train them and use them. Um, uh, the answer is no. Or will you leave your labor to him? Just because the uh, wild cattle is strong and capable of pulling uh, a cart or a plow, can you depend on him? And of course, the answer here is no. Verse 12, will you trust him to bring home your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? Uh, the answer there is no, because they simply are uh, almost impossible to train. So similarly here, the uh, wild cattle Uh, Similar to the wild donkeys, Job could not tame these wild animals. This animal, the wild uh, ox or the wild cattle, uh, resisted being tamed, being uh, controlled, being used uh, to handle uh, normal domestic work. God says it would not serve Job, the uh, wild cattle would not serve Job, or stay in his barn overnight uh, like uh, uh, tamed cows, domesticated cows, uh, nor would it submit to plowing. Though unusually strong, it would not do heavy work for man, nor would it pull a cart with grain from the field to the threshing floor. Uh, that was one of the ways that they would get their uh, grain to the threshing floor was to put it in a cart. Um, but uh, the only other way they could do that is maybe to use a donkey or carry it themselves. But if Job could not tame even the wild, these wild animals, 
How could he hope to challenge God's way, ways with man? Now, uh, moving on to uh, verses 13 through 25, we're going to see a reference to ostriches. We're going to see a reference to uh, uh, storks. We're also going to see war horses and at least uh, a quick reference to locusts. Now, um, this section about the ostrich, uh, verses 13 through 18, is omitted from the Septuagint, the Old Testament Septuagint. And many theologians believe that this probably doesn't belong here. But it is found in the, uh, the, uh, the Hebrew text, the Masoretic text. And so I believe that it belongs there, as do uh, many other theologians. So we're going to study it, and I think you're going to find that this tells us a lot about uh, the ostrich. Uh, the impression found here in the passage about the ostrich is that it is a highly unusual uh, creature, a very odd creature, which only God can create and sustain. This was well beyond Job's comprehension and his ability to do. So verses 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18. The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but her wings and pinions like the kindly storks, for she are, are like, but are, but are her wings and pinions like the kindly storks. In other words, the stork uh, can fly, can the ostrich. Verse 14, and the answer, of course, is no. Verse 14, for she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. Verse 15, she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. In other words, steal them. Uh, Verse 16, she treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without concern. Verse 17, because God deprived, because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. When she lifts herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. All right. Uh, again, I find this, uh, passage to be, to a certain extent, humorous, but also very informing. Uh, I had the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to be around uh, ostrich, and they are truly an unusual uh, cr- uh, creation. So verse 13, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly. Now, how many of us would uh, observe an ostrich and believe that uh, when it's, we could say, flapping his wings, uh, is actually do, doing this proudly. Well, 
But as we pursue here, we're going to see that God has given an ostrich a, um, a, a sense for using its wings, um, even though they're not used for flying. Um, but are her wings and pinions? Pinions is another word for uh, wings, um, but that can also be a, a, a phrase for a extremity. But are her wings and pinions like the kindly storks? And of course, the uh, rhetorical answer here is is no. Now, the word translated ostrich occurs only here, and the translation is shrill cry. Uh, therefore, this seems to apply to an ostrich. Uh, verse 14 says the ostrich, for she leaves, uh, other words that we could use here, lays or places her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. So while the ostrich is a bird, not being able to fly, it can only lay eggs on the ground. This is not very, uh, very different from chickens or other wild fowl. I remember again on the farm, it was not uh, unusual to find um, eggs uh, in a nest on the ground where uh, a hen had decided that's where she wanted to lay her eggs. Um, so this is uh, I uh, this is very familiar to me. Verse fifteen, she forgets that a foot may crush them. Uh, the Lord is going to tell us, God's going to tell us here, that um, He didn't supply a great deal of wisdom, intelligence for the ostrich. Here it says she forgets that. Um, that her uh, eggs are laid on the ground, that they're right there beside her or behind her or under her, in front of her, and she can step on them very easily and crush them. Or that a wild beast may break them. Uh, if the uh, ostrich wanders very far, we find that uh, wild beasts uh, can, break, can break open the uh, eggs and uh, eat consume the the uh, what's inside verse 16 she treats her young harshly as though they were not hers so this appears uh, to tell us that uh, she and even the male are not uh, very um, skilled parents her labor is in vain without concern so the ostrich here hatches her eggs, and then exhibits almost no concern for her young. It is as if she went through the process of laying, brooding, and hatching, only to discard, only to dis, uh, disregard the results of her work. Verse 17, because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow, did not impart to her, understanding. Verse 18, when she lifts herself on high, she scorns 
and here's our word for scorns again, uh, we would say she mocks or she laughs at the horse and its rider. Now, <clears throat> there's some question about the interpretation of the verse, but lifting herself on high probably means that the ostrich spreads and flaps her wings to uh, appear intimidating and mess, uh, uh, men- menacing. Ostrich may be aggressive towards other animals and humans, but can also be confused and scared away. Uh, I think I've related this uh, experience that I had uh, with ostrich in South Africa, in Swaziland, when I was visiting uh, Tom and Cheryl Molinar. Uh, we were in Swaziland. We were uh, in a um, <clears throat> wild animal park. And as we were traveling around, we saw uh, all kinds of wild animals, whether it was lions or elephant, whether it was uh, hippopotamus, um, rhinoceros, we saw um, uh, uh, various other animals as well. And one of them that we saw was the ostrich. And when it says here, and my comments here, is they can be aggressive. Uh, the, uh, uh, the ranger that was driving us around uh, talked to us about uh, the various animals, and particularly he said, now you have to be careful uh, with ostrich because most people would think, well, they're just a big chicken, you know, and they're easy to, to chase. But he said that uh, ostrich can be very aggressive. Uh, even if there aren't, the young aren't there or it's a nest, um, they're, uh, uh, it's as if they're, uh, they don't know uh, what's uh, a threat to them or what is not a threat. And uh, we, were, uh, we were dismounted from the vehicle, and uh, we were trying to uh, uh, get a little closer to uh, some young elephants. And this uh, ostrich kept coming from behind and... Uh, I guess the best word to say is that they were attacking us. Now, uh, this one. Now, uh, and this was a very large ostrich. And uh, I remember uh, Tom uh, asking the uh, 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 the guide, uh, uh, this ostrich back here, is this a problem? And he says, well, it's not really a problem. All we have to do is just confuse it. And he said, well, how in the world are we going to do that? And he said, and he looked at me and said, pick up that branch over there. It was a fairly good-sized branch. He said, just pick up the branch and wave it in front of the ostrich and uh, keep the branch between you and the ostrich. And it confuses the the ostrich. It can't uh, determine a way to get to us. And so that was my job. I was behind us waving this branch, rather large branch, in the face of the ostrich. And it would turn around and and leave. And then after five minutes or so, it would return. Uh, 
but we managed to see the elephants. But that was an, a, an experience that I had with um, the uh, ostrich. Um, and it was, like I said, it was a fairly large uh, ostrich. Well, let me... Let me finish with a summary here of these verses. First of all, and this talks about the uh, how bizarre this uh, animal is, but God uh, created this animal, and he takes care of the animal. Uh, and here are about ten points. The ostrich, which is a rather bizarre bird, is odd-featured. It weighs up to 300 pounds. You wouldn't expect that, but uh, the legs and the body are rather heavy. So they can weigh up to 300 pounds and reach a height of 7 or 8 feet. Now, the bird that that I was encountering down in Swaziland, uh, I think was much, I think it was at least another foot tall. Um, at least nine feet. It was pretty, in, uh, could be intimidating. Secondly, it flaps its wings, but it can't fly. Therefore, there has to be a reason why it has wings. Certainly not to fly. Third, unlike birds that fly, such as the stork, an ostrich lays its eggs in a nest on the ground. And again, that's because it can't get into a tree, uh, or nor does it really climb very much in dense uh, uh, foliage. Uh, fourth, in fact, several ostriches, several ostrich hens lay their eggs in one nest, but if there is no more room in the nest, they simply deposit their eggs outside the nest in the sand or in the dirt. Uh, Five, there are other brooding hens, uh, but they confuse each other getting in and out of the nest. So sometimes they'll end up sitting on nests that don't belong to them. Uh, When they do that, they very often crush their eggs because they'll sometimes fight over nests. Six, ostriches seemingly unconcerned for or even are cruel to their young. Uh, And that's an indication of uh, the fact that they have no sense of responsibility. Very often we'll see um, uh, other animals with a a strong sense of of, uh, strong sense of responsibility, but ostriches, ostriches do not. Um, and that's why I think uh, the Lord says here that they have a lack of wisdom and good sense. Uh, seven, hens may desert the nest if they're overfed, or if impatient, they may leave the nest before their eggs are hatched. So you see there's a uh, uh, an interesting uh, lack of uh, of care given to their eggs. If a human disturbs a nest, an ostrich may trample the eggs, destroying them, or a hen may sit on eggs in another nest, forgetting her own. Um, point nine, uh, yet in spite of the lack of intelligence, an ostrich 
can run 40 miles an hour. And that's uh, uh, faster than a horse. So point 10, would Job even think of making such a peculiar bird? And the answer is, well, probably not. Probably not design a bird uh, that would look, act, or uh, uh, function the way that the the ostrich does. So Job had identified himself closely with the ostrich. Uh, Look at verse uh, chapter 30. Chapter 30 in Job, he mentioned ostrich. Chapter 30, verse 29 says, I am a brother of jackals and a companion of ostrich. Uh, I, I like the way that God brings Job's comments back into the discussion. And so here he identifies uh, the ostrich, which Job had previously mentioned. Therefore, the Lord ironically agrees that there are similarities between Job and the ostrich. Both are deficient in knowledge. But although the Luke, uh, the ostrich has a odd appearance, um, Job now uh, has an odd appearance as well. Um, the ostrich is not concerned about his own situation. But by contrast, Job who has been extremely worried and concerned about his situation, which he should be. Uh, now, verse 19 through on, we'll pick that up next week. Uh, 19, speaking of the strength of the horse, we'll also see the hawk and the eagle. Um, but as we go through these these passages, Uh, It's not simply a matter of reading them and seeing that God happens to mention uh, these animals or these birds. Um, God is uh, expressing to us how he provides for them. He created them. He provides for them. Their characteristics uh, are ingrained in them because God uh, has... uh, uh, given them to him, to them uh, in their creation. And while Job is to learn from what God is saying, so are we. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this education, the education about these animals, uh, about these birds. Uh, we, we sometimes are told that they um, just... Uh, in an unusual way, evolved. But you tell us that you not only created them, but you created their idiosyncrasies and also you are continuing to take care of them today, the details in their lives. And we know, Lord, if you care for them, you care for us and you care for us. Help us to lean on you, to depend on you, to cast our cares upon you, Father, because we know you do love us 
and you've given your son to be our Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.